Welcome to Sunday Sermons from the Williamsburg Community Chapel, brought to you by the Chapel Podcast Network. Let's grab our Bibles and open up to the book of Galatians. We're going to be in chapter 5, verse 24, through chapter 6, verse 10. And I'll read the last two verses for us now, as we prepare to hear from lead pastor Travis Simone, as he continues to help us understand what it means to be Jesus's church. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are of the household of faith. Well, I always enjoy it when we have the chapel orchestra play on Sunday mornings. And I do like the trumpets and the clarinets and the trombones and the saxophones, but what I really love is that my college philosophy professor somehow has joined the chapel orchestra. So it always brings me back to those days of philosophy 101. And his claim 20-ish years ago still stands with me. His claim was that the discipline of philosophy is unique among all of the academic disciplines. He said, every academic discipline asks some form of the question, what time is it? He said, only philosophy can ask the question, what is time? He said, every academic discipline asks some form of the question, what is beautiful? He would say, only philosophy can ask the question, what is beauty? And so I invite you to get philosophical with me this morning. What is church? Not what Bible study should I go to? Not what program would I really like to see my church involved with? Not what are my spiritual gifts, as we asked that question last week, as important as that question is to ask. But what is church? This is the question we've been asking in our annual focus entitled My Church since September. Jesus says in Matthew 16, 18, and I tell you, you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Did you catch that? Did you notice Jesus said, my church, the church belongs to Jesus. The church, whatever the church is, whatever Jesus meant when he said the word church. And the church in our English translations translates the Greek word ekklesia. And this is one of the top 10 Greek words we all need to know. Ekklesia gets translated church. It literally means the called out gathering. In the first century, it referred to a gathering of competent citizens of a city state. And they would be called out from their communities to gather in order to decide issues regarding laws, office appointments, public policy. And then they would be called out of the gathering back into their community to promote wise stewardship of the community, 
to implement good policy in and for the community. They are called out to gather and then they are called out from the gathering back into the community. It's an exceedingly important tension to maintain. Now, while the first century ecclesia referred to this gathering of citizens, the New Testament immediately moves away from the language of the state and begins using the language of family relationships. The church is consistently called to relate to one another. If you want to go to that next slide. The church is consistently called to relate to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, Romans 16, 14. Believers are adopted as children of God, Ephesians 3, 20. And the church is described in the passage that Bill just read for us as the household of faith, Galatians 6, 10. And so from this dynamic of called out from the community to gather, called back from the community, called back from the gathering to the community, and this familial language of the New Testament, we have staked our claim this year that the church is Jesus's family on Jesus's mission. And since we are all already educated beyond our ability to obey what we already know about God's word, I wanted to take the final two weeks of our annual focus and just unpack one more time, what does it really mean to be the family of Jesus? And what does it really mean to be on the mission of Jesus? Today I'll talk about the family and next week, We'll finish out the series with the mission. And so from Galatians 5, 24 to 6, 10, here's what I think it really means to be the family of Jesus. Those who belong to Christ Jesus belong to each other. Those who belong to Christ Jesus belong to each other. Look at verse 24 of our passage. Galatians 5, 24 says this, and those who belong to Christ Jesus, that's where I got the initial phrase from, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. It's interesting, this is the second time in Paul's letter to the Galatians where the idea of being crucified has come up. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, did I say chapter 6 there? Brian, did I say? I did. Okay, Brian's a good, he tracks with me. Okay, I said chapter 6. Excuse me. There is no chapter 6, verse 20. You won't find it there. Chapter 2, verse 20. In chapter 2, verse 20, Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ. In chapter 2, verse 20, crucifixion, in the crucifixion of our flesh is done for us. It's done to us. It's done by Jesus. This is what's known in the Bible as justification. That God makes it just as if I'd never sinned. 
by taking Jesus's meritorious works and applying them to our account. When God sees us, he sees Jesus's work on our behalf. And so our flesh was crucified with Jesus's flesh. I have been crucified with Christ, something done to us and for us. Yet notice the slight tweak in the language in chapter 5, verse 24. Look at 524. Paul says, and those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh. I have crucified my flesh. This is something done by us. This is the work of sanctification, cooperating with the Holy Spirit to pick up our cross daily and follow him. John Stott, the the well-known English pastor and evangelist, he wrote this about this verse. We must not only take up our cross and walk with it, but actually see that the execution takes place. I have crucified my flesh with Christ. And so my question is, as we consider this topic of belonging to Jesus and belonging to each other, my question then is, how do we ensure that the execution takes place? How do we ensure that the flesh doesn't continue to gain a foothold in our lives? Look at verse 25. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. This phrase, keep in step with the Spirit, was originally a military term. It referred to a group of military soldiers that were drawn up together in a line to go on a march together, to stand together in a row. Let us keep in step with the Spirit. And we read that with our individualistic Western ears. Oh, I've got to really keep in step with the Spirit. And Paul's saying, no, no, no. It's like you're joining the army. And you're not going to get out of line when you're on the march to battle. It's dangerous to get out of line when you're on the march to battle. So how do we ensure that our flesh is crucified with Christ? We line up with other believers. We stay close to them. We march with them. Those who belong to Christ Jesus belong to each other. Which is why the next verse, chapter 6, verse 1, begins with the word brothers. By far and away, the most popular, frequent way that believers get referred to in the New Testament. Brothers, the Greek word adelphoi meaning two brothers in a family or all of the siblings in a family, whether they are brothers alone or brothers and sisters. Brothers, Adelphoi, brothers and sisters. Remember, you're connected to one another in the same way that you cannot cease being a brother or a sister to your biological or adopted family members. 
In that same way, you cannot cease being a brother or sister in Christ to your fellow believers. Brothers, he says. And then he goes on to talk about accountability. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. You see, to hold a brother or sister in Christ accountable for the purpose of restoration in a spirit of gentleness and humility is doing the hard work of belonging to one another. One of the most famous verses in all of the Bible is Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. You go, Leviticus, that's kind of the book of the Bible that people steer clear of. They get Bible reading plans go to die in Leviticus. You laugh, you've been there. But 1918, Jesus quotes it right along Deuteronomy 6.5 as the greatest commandments in God's word. Deuteronomy 6.5, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And Jesus says, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself, which is Leviticus 19.18. But nobody goes back and reads 17. And I really wish we would. Because Leviticus 19.17 helps us know the depth of what God's word means when it tells us to love our neighbors as ourselves. So I'm going to read 17 right next to 18, and here's what it says. You shall reprove your neighbor, or you will incur guilt yourself. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Another translation says, rebuke your neighbor, frankly, lest you share in his guilt. We often don't think of that and love going side by side. But I assure you that they do. That when someone is in sin, they are disconnected from their creator. When someone is in sin, they are destroying their lives. They're destroying the lives of those around them. Community is being damaged. And so the loving thing to do, to love your neighbor as yourself, is to reprove your neighbor. And God is clear here that if you do not do this, you may incur guilt on your own. That's what it looks like to love your neighbor And that's what the Apostle Paul is getting at here in Galatians chapter 6. If anyone's caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. It must be done with gentleness and humility or or you're going to be tempted to commit other sins yourself. Because those who belong to each other are accountable to each other. And when we belong to each other and are accountable to each other, we also will see that we are responsible for each other. Look at verse 2 of chapter 6. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. 
bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. The word burden refers to a heavy weight that one must carry for a great distance. The Apostle Paul says when we see someone in church with a heavy weight, we bear that weight with them. Maybe it's a wayward child. Someone is suffering under the weight of a wayward child. We bear that weight with them. Could be about with depression. And it seems, as we read earlier in Psalm 88, that darkness is the only one around me. In the church, we come around people that are suffering from depression. We bear that weight with them. An unfaithful spouse, the breaking of the marital bond of trust. We come and we bear that weight. We bear the weight of people who have been abused. People are walking through times of grief. People with a medical diagnosis that has left them fearful of how much longer they have to live. We bear the weight with them. Because when you belong to each other, you are responsible for each other. Really, the last time I battled a a sickness was in January of 2021 when I had a bout with COVID-19. And I had a pretty severe bout with it. I I didn't need to go to the hospital, but I I did lay in my bed um, struggling at times, going, "I, I I don't think I need to go to the hospital, but I can see how this sends people to the hospital. I can see how this does kill people. It was a very difficult time. And isolated in my room, away from my family. And I remember there was one uh, friend I have uh, from the chapel. And he called me. And he encouraged me. And he said, I'm going to call you every other day until you feel better. And he did. Every other day day, like clockwork, my phone would ring and we would have a conversation while I was alone in that room. And really, I I didn't, I I had battled the fatigue for about eight weeks after the initial onset of symptoms. And he called me every other day until I said, I'm good. Thank you. Thank you so much for bearing this burden with me. I look back, it was such a bright spot in the midst of a dark time. And what I notice about that is I never would have asked him to call. I never would have let that need be known. But I had a need to connect in that time of difficulty. And so often when it comes to bearing one another's burdens, we as believers have to initiate. Don't wait till someone asks you. When you see the burden, go next to them. Bear up under it with them. For those who belong to Christ Jesus belong to each other. And when we belong to each other, we are accountable for each other. And we are responsible for each other. 
And so what is church? What is church? Paul explicitly states that the church is Jesus's family in Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, when he calls it the very household of faith. And so often we think that our first responsibility is to prioritize and care for those outside of the faith. But look at what Paul writes in verse 10. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Do good to everyone, especially those who are the household of faith. See, so often we pray that our witness of good works will make the gospel credible to those outside the church, that it will nudge them to place our full, their full faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. But Paul here clearly places the emphasis on doing good to those inside the church. Do that first, and then to those outside the church. Why would Paul state the command like this? I was recently uh, interviewed by uh, some academic researches, researchers studying uh, how churches and faith communities navigated uh, the public health crisis that we've gone through. And I knew uh, this, the person that was interviewing me, uh, they used to be uh, my neighbor. And I knew where he was in his position of faith, and uh, that position was he didn't have any, and he was very clear about that. Yet he was fascinated by this subject and underwent an entire research study. I look forward to uh, to seeing it get published. And as he heard uh, me talk about the Chapel family, when we got to the end of the interview, I'll just never forget what he said to me. He just looks at me. He goes. It seems that your church was a backstop for the community. It seems that your church was a backstop for the community. When, for health reasons, people were not able to gather inside buildings, your church bought a tent so you could gather outside of the building. When churches were too small, uh, they didn't have the facility space to house the emergency winter shelter for people that are sleeping on the streets in your community. Instead of going around to different churches where the people could be sheltered, the different churches came to your church and used that wonderful facility that God has blessed you with, that has all kinds of space for people to spread out. When organizations providing food and clothing on the, the front lines uh, were running out of donations, it seemed that your church had this special fund that was able to, to shore up those organizations so that they could continue to do their work. Your church was a backstop for the community. And I believe Paul is saying that when the church flourishes, you can bet the community will flourish around it. Because the backstop that we are building at the chapel 
and all gospel-centered churches, my prayer is the backstop that all gospel-centered churches are building, is built not on the transient feelings that come with doing good works. Our backstop is much stronger. It's built on the unalterable reality of our belonging to one another. That we know we are accountable to one another to give back to the God who's given everything for us. We know we are responsible for each other to bear each other's burdens as Jesus bore the burden of our sin. When we know that our greatest burden has been borne by someone else, it frees us up to bear the burdens of others. That's a backstop that the gates of hell cannot overcome. And now that's a backstop that those who don't know Jesus Christ might desire to profess, to possess in their own lives. And if you don't belong to Jesus Christ, by grace, through faith, you can belong to him right now by saying, Jesus, whatever I'm trusting in, I release that. I place my ultimate faith and trust in you. And Jesus will then lead you to his family, which is the church, because the church is Jesus's family on Jesus's mission. Thank you for joining us today. Here at the Williamsburg Community Chapel, we are all about making disciples of Jesus Christ. So wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we are excited to help you connect to Christ and His community. Have a blessed day.